Coming up this time on The Green Jumper, remembering a phone call from Brian Clough. He used to call me on a Wednesday. It was always a Wednesday. That was roughly our day off. Well, we got a few days off, but I always recall it was a Wednesday. There was no mobile phones. It was your house phone. And the first time it rang, I answered it and it says, Scotsman, come and keep me company. I'm going to teach you about cricket, young man. And we'll talk about expecting the unexpected. I love coming in to the unknown. Every day, because guess what's happening day? It was maybe a walk along the train. It was maybe really training. It was maybe going for an ice cream. It was maybe sitting watching the cricket. It was maybe going on holiday. We just never knew what was going to happen. And I think that kept us on our toes. And just... Respect, just the respect, eh? Just, I love playing that it gave you the freedom to play. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, the editor of the tribute website, brianclough.com. And my guest today is a cult hero from his days playing for Brian Clough at Nottingham Forest in the late 1980s. He made over 100 appearances for the Reds after joining from Hibernian in 1985. It's welcome along to Brian Rice. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's very nice to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. Can you recall Brian Clough's first words to you? Yeah, I can. Blow me, it's Steve Davis. I travelled down from Scotland on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night and Jim McAnally picked me up at the airport and took me to a small hotel uh, not far from the city ground. And in the morning, Archie Gemmell came and picked me up. Uh, Archie Gemmell I didn't even know Archie Gemmell I'd only ever seen him scoring that wonder goal for Scotland against Holland you know and yes. I'd seen him playing for Forest and all the European nights on TV and I was in all with Archie Gemmell you know and then he says right I'm taking you along to meet the gaffer and we went along and I'm following him into the office and he chapped the door and he said come in and we went in and Archie says I brought the Scotsman and I think he was right at the time and he just lifted his head off the table and went, blow me, it's Steve Davis. Because of the haircut like Steve Davis, you know. Yes, the red hair. Yeah, well, strawberry blonde. Stra- strawberry blonde, Strawberry yeah. blonde, of course. <laughs> uh, and that was his first ever words to me. Yes. His, and his second words were, can you hit the ball, young man? Wow. And I just, I couldn't get the words out. I'd only ever seen him on TV before. Sports Night, which is an old programme. David yes. Coleman. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. it, I mean, everybody loved him on TV. He was a standing in front of him was a, a tall, skinny, twenty-year-old, 21-year-old from a, a wee town in Whitburn yeah. in Scotland. He did have a, quite a soft spot for you over the years, didn't he? Because I think you lived near near the ground and, and sometimes he, he'd invite you to watch cricket. <laughs> yeah, I used to live in Turney's Quay. Oh. You know, I lived in Turney's Quay and I used to walk across the training and when we finished games at night time and coming home late, it was great. I was in bed by the time of this and got across Trent Bridge. Uh, and he found this out, and he used to <laughs> used to call me on a Wednesday. It was always a Wednesday. That was roughly our day off. Well, we got a few days off, but I always recall it was a Wednesday. There was no mobile phones. It was a, your house phone. And the first time it rang, I answered it, and he says, Scotsman, come and keep me company. And I, where are you, gaffer? I'm in my office. Get yourself across. So my wife was working. So I went away across one Wednesday morning about half eleven. And there was sandwiches, Carol's secretary had got sandwiches and there was beer and whatever else there. I'm going to teach you about cricket, young man. And that was me at half past five. And that became a regular occurrence. In fact, it became that much of a recurrence. I moved, 
you know, my, my wife said, I can't have this every week, I come back, and I actually moved up to Ed Walton to, and I say that's the reason, but that's not the reason, but it was, no, it's, it's, it was brilliant, you know, it's just, it took time for me, it took time for me, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but, yeah, it was a bit of a soft spot, I think, he had for me. And you made your debut for Forest away at Liverpool, I think, like, like Roy Keane. Um, did you have any advance notice that you were going to play? 3rd of September 1985, beat 2-0. Uh, Ronnie Whelan scored the two goals. Yeah, there's some things in life you never forget. No, no advance notice. I wasn't allowed to play to begin with when the season started because we, they couldn't agree a fee with Hibs, you know. Uh, and I don't think he wanted to pay anything for me. You know, he's probably quite right. <laughs> uh, so once the tribunal was over, they were playing Liverpool. It was a, it was a Tuesday. I know it was a Tuesday. And uh, I was travelling up with the squad, but I thought I was just going for a bit of experience to integrate with the, the team and the squad and see how it was done. Um, we went to the we went to the hotel in the afternoon in Liverpool. And after we had our lunch and before we went for a nap, we named the team and I was playing. And it was just completely out of the blue to make your debut at Anfield. You know, it was, was something really, really special. You mentioned the tribunal and you, they had to decide the fee for you, as you say. Was there any time in that when you were a bit worried that it might not even go ahead? No, I wasn't worried. I was just a wee bit worried when he refused to go to the tribunal. He didn't go. I went up with Alan Hill and the club secretary, I think, went as well. And the, the fee was decided. And I'd got an extra couple of days up home and coming back, I came back down. And when I get come back down to train a couple of days later, the lads were all already in the training ground. And I made my way down the, the banks of the train, down to the training ground. And he was already there. And when he saw me coming in, he shouted me over. And his words to me were, Scotsman, you'll need to go home. I'll need to sell the stand to pay for you. And I ain't selling no stand. And... I didn't know what to do, and then he just started laughing and gave me a big cuddle. You know, you just, you just hung in, I just hung on his every word. Yes. I hung on his every word, you know, but, and that was the start of the love affair. Yeah. How were things different to what you'd been used to in Scotland in the, in the way that Forrest, you know, went about things, or how Cluffy went about things with training and getting ready for matches? I mean, if we go back to my debut, we played on the Tuesday night at Anfield, and the next game was Leicester away on the Sunday. And on the way back down on the bus, he came up the bus and he says, fantastic tonight, lads. Same team Sunday. I'll see you at 12.30 at the city ground. This was a Tuesday night. And I looked and the lads are looking and saying, don't say anything. I says, what have we got to do? do? He says, no, I just turn up on Sunday. The boys told me, just turn up Sunday. We've got to play again Sunday. I said, this is strange. I've never seen anything like this. Because up in Scotland, there was a lot of physical work, a lot of running. Everything was so different. This was a completely different environment to anything else I'd ever encountered. Uh, and to be told that Tuesday night, you're playing Sunday but you're not training. And they said, don't come in and do extra. Do not come in and do extra. I remember he, he shut the physio's door, told the physio to take a week off and then he was injured just to come back when they were fit. Uh, I remember he, he locked the gym. He didn't like us doing gym work. Yeah. When we did get a day off, you know, we didn't really do a lot of crossing and finishing or shooting or anything like that. And the kids would be in training all week, so we'd, we'd come in on a day off. And I remember I came in on my day off, and I went over my ankle and done my ligaments. And he went crazy at me. He went crazy at me. He sent me home for a month. And just says, come back when you're fit. You know, and it was a lesson to me. You know, he was doing it for a reason. 
for a reason. He had his own unique way, uh, and this was this was a Brian Clough way, and it worked. Yes. No, that's that's the key. Yeah, oh, whatever he did worked with that squad we had, and at that and before us, and before us, I must say, whatever whatever he had was magical, and and the results are there to prove it. You're often remembered best for that goal against Arsenal in the FA Cup quarter-final. It was a wonder goal. You chipped the keeper. Do you have special memories of that still? Yeah, of course. Uh, people talk about it. It's the first thing they say to me. You know, uh, your goal. I know. But, uh, of course it's special. I think I'm led to believe it's the first time Forrest had ever beaten Arsenal in the FA Cup. Maybe at Highbury. You know, uh, you know what surprises me? Nobody talks about Paul Wilkinson's goal. It was a fantastic goal. Right foot, 23, 24 yards, top corner. Uh, and then my goal, my goal was Nigel controlled the ball wide right and he cut inside and he, he, he couldn't have had a better pass. You know, it was a, it was a dream pass. I just, it was just my touch had to make it better. Uh, and I had a good first touch and I keep saying, well, I only had England back four chasing me. You know, uh, and I, I joke about that, but I think there was maybe two or three of them did play for England. And yeah. when I was going through, John Lukic came out, and John's a big lad. You know, I don't know him personally, but he came out, and it was a matter of will, who's going to crack first. And, you know, not something I wasn't, I was never nervous. I wasn't nervous in it at most times I've played. And by, by luck, John made a move to, to, to crouch, and as he crouched, I dinked him. Yeah. You know, and... The rest history, is it? It is indeed. Well, that was 1988, and I've got a picture here which might bring back some memories for you. The squad picture for 89-90 season. Yeah. And there you are on the back row. Yeah, fantastic. Alongside... Steve Hodge. Steve Hodge. Darren Wassell. Yeah. Terry Wilson. Des Walker. Gary Parker. Gary Charles. Lee Chapman. Steve Sutton. Colin Foster. Steve Chettle. Mark Crossley. Tommy Gaynor. Brian Laws. Franz Carr. Lee Glover, yeah. Stuart Pierce, John Sheridan, Gary Bing Crosby, and Nigel. There they all are. Yeah. What comes to your mind when you see that now? <sighs> Fantastic squad. Fantastic squad. What comes to mind? The gaffer's knowing it. Where that's, is he? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's probably watching cricket. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, great squad, great friends. Yes. Uh, a team. No individuals, a team. You're talking about John Sheridan at the front there. What a talent. What a talent. The, the gaffer didn't think he fitted in for some reason. And I remember he played in a League Cup tie. I can't remember who against. Something tells me Huddersfield in my head, but I may be wrong. And he got man of the match. Never played again. You know, and I'm looking at uh, Terry Wilson there. Terry Wilson said 80 yards for me back home in Scotland. 80 yards. In this small town we came from. And also a player who played later on, Gareth Williams. Came from the sm same small town. So... Fantastic, fantastic memories. And I'm still in contact with a lot of the lads. Brilliant. And obviously you, you became a, a great fan's favourite with the song that they made <laughs> up. Um, we all live in a world of Brian Rice. Uh, what did you think to that at the time? I wish they knew the words. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> it's... The fans were fantastic with me. They were fantastic. And I heard the song. And it's funny because... I was golfing one day with my friends when I finished playing and I was back home. It was a Saturday and I came into the, the pub in the afternoon for a couple of beers and as soon as I walked in there I started singing it. I thought, how the hell have they known that? Yeah. But it was on Soccer AM that morning ah. and two or three of the lads had seen it. Yeah. So when I walked in they started singing it and 
you know, it's just, it's great. And I think fans and players should interact. I think the bond between the players and the fans is massive. You know, and it was it was at this time when we played. You know, we were a good team. We were competing on all fronts, and the fans were right behind us. I mean, we were at Wembley a lot of times. Yes. You know, and we had fantastic games against Derby, and it just was a brilliant time. And the fans were a massive part, and the the ground was full all the time. You know, it just gave it gave me such a buzz. Talking of finals, um, I think you missed out on on one or two, but you were on the bench for a Simod Cup final, yeah. and and you were included in the bonus. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> can you remember that? I can remember it. Yeah, the ten pound bonus. Yeah, I remember we trained in the morning, uh, and we never went away for two or three days. We just we train down the embankment, come back, we again have a meeting, we go up to Antonio's. Get a bite to eat. We go out to London, win the cup, then come back. That was normal for us. Job done. No nights out, in training the next morning. So I remember the Saturday we were sitting in there having a meeting before we went up to Antonio's and Pierce, who's captain, says, What's the bonus tomorrow, Gaffer? And he, he looked, because we never ever spoke about money. We just got told, This is this, this is that, that's it. There was no arguing, there was no, no compromise. No. Right. And he looked at us and he went, £10 in a box of chocolates. And we all started laughing. He says, and if you lose, you just give me £10 in a box of chocolates. <laughs> so we're all laughing. We're all having a bit of fun. And we say, ah, he'll sort something out. Yeah. So when we get to the Wembley the next day, I'm standing on the, the pitch and I'm, I think I'm talking to Derek Mountfield. And he's, I knew him for someplace else. And we're talking away and he says, he's got a bonus. I said, I tell us £10 in a box of chocolates. He says, oh, we run X amount for appearance money and X amount for winning it. Well, as history goes, we win it. So we come back to the bus and we've got the camp, we've got a couple of beers and that and he takes us to East Midlands Airport and we park outside there and we're sitting there for a bit and we're watching the aeroplanes and he comes up and he says, watch the aeroplanes lads because we're going to need them to go on holidays in the summer yeah. and we're all sitting there wanting to get back home and we comes back home and we're in training the next day and we're in again the meeting room the next minute one of the YTS lads come in or a young apprentice come in and they're carrying boxes a box of chocolates with a tenner seller tip to the top of it, and that's what we got, yeah. you know. So it was just, it was, a, it was just crazy, but he just took it, you know, because we were well looked after. Another picture here, which is from a programme. I'm just looking, sixth of November, '88. It's a, a match against Arsenal at home. You're in the centre pages uh, as the Ooh. star performer, and there's a little bit of a write-up with it, which says you play so unselfishly. And and Stuart Pearce says that you were sort of underrated, really, that you got into positions that helped him and actually helped him get in the England squad, which is yeah. praise indeed, really. You you got on very well with Pearce, didn't just, you? We, we signed on the same day, me, Stuart and uh, Neil Webb. We all signed on the same day. And Ian Butterth might, might have signed the same day as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. because Stuart and Ian came from Coventry and Webb came from Reading. But I definitely signed the same day as Stuart and we became, we, we became massive, massive friends. We became roommates. He was up and down to Scotland with me, watching football and whatever. Really, really friendly. But the gaffer used to say that. You know, he sometimes shouts to Stuart, he's got you in the England team. He's got you in the England team. And I wasn't a star player. I was an average player. But I had a player playing behind me who was a real player, Stuart. You know, and we complemented each other so well. 
and I love playing in front of him because, you know, I knew he liked to get forward, I knew he liked to go in there runs, and I would just come inside a little bit and try and play the balls to him and cover for him. Uh, yeah. But it was a thing I learned in Scotland. Uh, you've got to be. In, I think I wasn't selfish. I think I wasn't selfish. You know, I was very, very fortunate to play, play to play in the team that I played in. You know. Uh, and it's it's very nice when people say things about you like Stuart did, but you know I'd like to think you know I earned my place in the team, and I, uh, it was just uh, like I, I, I can't I can't imagine now that I actually played. You know when I look at the, the, the like, team and the squad, and I see all the caps of one, and you know it's but it's just it's, to me it's overwhelming. Another program here, which I think will make you smile. Yes. Yeah, Newcastle, New Year's Day 88, and there you are in a kilt on the front uh, cover, along with Lee Glover, I think, yeah, and Terry, Terry Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, do you remember that one? I remember that for two reasons. I remember it because I remember getting taken, and I remember the kilt's going back to front. Oh. The kilt's back to front, the pleats should be at the back. You know what? Yes. And it shows you how many times I wore a kilt. <laughs> I didn't know until somebody pointed it out to me, and I remember that. It was uh, coming up for New Year, wasn't it? it was, yes. Yeah, New Year. Yeah, New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, it says yeah. on, the, on the old electronic scoreboard in the background. Yeah, and like I said, yeah. I spoke about Terry earlier. And it's funny because uh, Lee phoned me a few weeks ago and he was asking me my advice on certain things about systems of playing, whatever. And all of a sudden, before you know where you are, we're talking about the forest days. You know, he's phoned me up about something else. We kind of get talking quick enough about the forest days. But oh. I, I remember that. I remember that like yesterday. Yeah. I bet you had a bit of a laugh about it, didn't you? Oh, in the end. Right <laughs> I mean, what you can't see there is the rest of them all laughing. Yeah. You know, the rest of the players are all standing as laughing with the kilts yeah. on. Yeah. And I've got it on the wrong way, eh? Typical, <laughs> typical me. <laughs> now, you have gone into management. Um, can you sort of say whether you've taken any of the cluffy influencers at all into your management career? Yeah, of course I have. You know, I'd be crazy not to. I, I, I listened to Martin O'Neill speaking the other day in talk sport and he was saying before he became a manager he bumped in into Peter Taylor and Peter Taylor says to him I'm disappointed in you Martin I thought you'd have been into management because you're the best two teachers in the world you know you're the best two teachers you can ever get me and Brian well I never had Peter but I had Brian so of course I used some of his stuff I mean he would never let the, the trainer come on you know, the trainer wasn't allowed to come on. The physio, we called him the trainer, he was a physio. You know, he just told you, get up. Don't show them you're your hurt. Don't show them a weakness. And the amount of times that people just get up. And I've, I've sort of done it unconsciously. When one of my players go down, get up. And tell the physio, you don't need to go on just now. He'll get up. You know, if he's seriously hurt, it really needs attention and obviously he gets it. But just wee things like that. And his favourite one was turn. Turn on the ball. We're trying to score an egg no turn, so they're not big things, you know. And you know the one thing I loved, I can never, ever, ever remember us going out not trying to win a game, trying to contain teams. We went to try and win every single game, every game. Four four two, we played two strikers. Let's go and win. My team plays with two strikers every week, every week, and I took that for there and play forward. Just let's say I'd be crazy not to take anything. So, just little things. Now, one of his famous one-liners refers to you. I bet you can yeah. tell what I'm going to say. I wouldn't say Brian Rice is pale and thin, but the hotel chambermaid turned down his bed 
without realising he was already in it. Oh, I know. That's come back to haunt me many, many times. You know, it's, listen, at least I'm in the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it. Well, I'm in the book. Uh, no, when I first came here, I, said, oh, I was tall, I was thin, I was pale, so he was telling the truth. Uh, I'd hardly been, I don't think I'd only, I'd only been in an aeroplane two or three times. You know, and the weather in Scotland isn't that great. I got a tan. Uh, it's, it's how I was, how I was built, how I was built. You see, I started as a centre half at Hibs, and then I became a midfield player. Then when I came here, I got played wide, and uh, it was just my build. You know, and I just couldn't get a tan. <laughs> and oh, and he, he loved his holidays, didn't he? Yeah. And he always had his away holiday. But didn't matter how many holidays I went on, I was still white. You know, <laughs> oh, I just call it Magnolia. Yeah. <laughs> well. He obviously had a, a real soft spot for you, Brian. And um, looking back, how will you remember Cluffy? <laughs> hmm. It's a brilliant question. Uh, he made me enjoy my football. I enjoyed my football. Yeah. I loved it. I loved coming in to the unknown every day. Normally, when you get your full time, you get in training every day, every week. Ah, Tuesdays we do this. Thursdays we do this. Fridays we do this. That didn't. That didn't happen here. Every day was guess what's happening day. It was maybe a walk along the Trent. It was maybe really training. It was maybe going for an ice cream. It was maybe sitting watching the cricket. It was maybe playing cricket. It was maybe going on holiday. We just never knew what was going to happen. And I think that kept us on our toes. And just respect. Just the respect. Eh? Just I love I love playing that it gave you the freedom to play. Go and win. Go and play. Do the best you can and play. Uh, and it's something like y y any professional player wants that. A team that's going to attack, a team that's trying to win games, and we have freedom to go and express yourself. Uh, but have respect for one another. Well, that's a wonderful tribute. Brian Rice, thanks ever so much for sharing your stories and, and thanks for the memories. Oh, th thank you very much for asking me. And thanks to you for listening. If you're looking for more great stories about Cluffy, you can search the back catalogue of The Green Jumper or alternatively grab a copy of my new book, Brian Clough, The Lost Tapes. It has lots of Clough stories, many in print for the first time, accompanied by memories of some of the key people involved. The foreword is written by Cluffy legend Paul Hart and the book is supporting two great causes, the NSPCC and Nottinghamshire Hospice. I can also personally sign copies for you, just order from the tribute website brianclough.com with free postage in the UK. Thanks again for your company this time and I hope you can join me again for more memories of the great man in the green jumper.